You're listening to the Better Man Podcast, becoming life-giving men together. Hey there, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Better Man Podcast. My name is Adam Tarno. Today on the podcast, my good friend Clint Rutledge is back. Clint was on the podcast the first time in December of 2020, and at that point, we were talking about how teenagers can become better men, how young men can become better men. And he's back today talking about something that we touched on back in December of 2020. There was a pretty startling statistic out there about how many young people are dealing with anxiety. And so ever since Clint finished up his last book, he's been thinking about how to help young men and women deal with this issue of anxiety. And it's led to a new resource called Strong and Courageous that has come out. He's got these great principles. It's a story that has these principles to help young people navigate this complicated world that we live in that can produce so much anxiety. And so I'm really excited for you all to hear about this story, how it came about, uh, hear some of the principles that are taught in this story. And then at the end, we'll let you know how you can get a copy of this new book that will be released on Easter Day. 2022. So with all that being said, enjoy my conversation with Clint Rutledge. Well, Clint, welcome back to the Better Man Podcast. Good to have you here today. Thanks, Adam. It's great to be with you again. Yeah. So last time we were here, that you were here, we talked about your coaching at its core. You had just finished that up. And towards the end of that conversation, you had talked about a statistic that you had learned in that journey that led you to write this new book that has just come out, Strong and Courageous. So let's set up there and start there. What was that statistic that really was such a motivator for you to write this other book? Yeah. So, you know, as I went through that journey and I'm going and talking to different counselors and pastors and coaches and teachers and all the people that work with teens on a regular basis, there was an overriding theme that kept coming back. And that was that one in three teen girls and one in four teen boys suffer from some kind of anxiety disorder. And by an anxiety disorder, that's not just, you know, they're a little stressed. That's over the course of six months they've had effects on their health because of some kind of anxiety. So the more I learned about that, the more it really bothered me. One, because I've got teenagers in my own home, and we weren't just talking about kids that are coming from really difficult situations. We're talking about kids that come from normal, average, good homes, mom and dad, or mom, you know, that's working hard or whatever it may be, but they were kids that were really struggling. And so I started looking into that and thinking, well, how can I help in this? You know, I'm not a counselor. I can't go fix the major issues, but what can I do? And I'm a storyteller. I'm a writer. I'm a speaker. And I thought, well, if nothing else, I can maybe create a story that will at least be something that it can encourage kids. It can teach some lessons, encourage them that they can st- stand strong in today's society. Um, and in today's world, it is very critical, but they can do it. You know, Jesus taught in the form of parables. And I thought, well, what if I just create kind of a fun story that teaches some lessons, a parable for teens and put it out there. So I started on it and lo and behold, now Strong and Courageous is coming out. That's it. I love that. I love that. Yeah. Such a creative way to try to solve that problem. And listen, I mean, stories are more fun anyway, too, right? (laughs) They are way more fun. We've all done that. We've all been sitting there on a Sunday morning listening to a sermon. We've gotten a little bit bored. 
And then the pastor will say, and so it reminds me of something that happened on Wednesday. And we're like, we're right back. <laughs> we're paying there attention. You go. Yeah, the story grabs you. The story brings you back. So <laughs> I love that idea. And I'm obviously, uh, you know, it's easy on the brain and people do love stories. So talk about the story that's in this book and just that whole process, how you went from the statistic to now starting to think about how do you address some of these really, really important issues in story form. Absolutely. You know, it's kind of amazing. God puts different circumstances in front of you. And it's all like these pieces of a puzzle that are floating around and you start grabbing them out of the air and putting them together. And you realize it's starting to form a book. And that's what happened for me. The first piece of this puzzle was I spoke at a a men's retreat for a church. And I decided as I was preparing for that, um, I wanted to learn more about all the times in the Bible where it says, be strong and courageous. And I was curious, is there a directive after that? And so I started studying that to get ready for this weekend retreat. And I built this whole series around be strong and courageous. The times where Moses or God are telling Joshua, be strong and courageous. Well, how? What do I do? Um, David mentions it to Solomon on his deathbed, be strong and courageous. And so when I got done with that weekend, I thought this would really be a good framework for a book. But I kind of put that on the shelf. Then I go through the whole coaching at its core, put that together, realize that, okay, I need to write this book. Being strong and courageous fits that. So how do I pull that off the shelf? But then I needed a story. I needed a a hero. I needed an antagonist. I needed to create something that would engage the reader. And it just so happened that my nephew was competing for the starting quarterback job at the time. And they reached out to me because I used to coach quarterbacks. And one of his struggles was the guy he was competing with was a little bit more popular than my nephew. But my nephew was the one that had won the role. But he had you know, a hard time with the situation with the guy that he beat out wasn't necessarily super supportive of that. And so I thought, here's a challenge, you know, a lot of young people face. How do I handle an antagonist in my life or somebody that we're not getting along? How do I stand strong in who I am? So I allowed that to be the framework for the story. It just so happened that my nephew's name is Josh. And so, you know, the whole be strong and courageous, we, you know, affiliate with Joshua in the Bible. And I thought, okay, so we got Josh and we got Joshua's being told to be strong and courageous. So who's going to teach Josh these things? And so I created this character named Mo, who's a janitor um, in the field house area. When I grew up with my dad coaching, there was always this janitor in the area that cleaned the field house that everybody loved. Well, Mo um, is listening in. You see in the first chapter of all that's going on. Well, as you go through the story, you discover that Mo is actually Moses that's been sent back to teach the newer version, the modern day version of Joshua, these same things he had to teach him in the Bible. That's fantastic. So where were you when you said, ah, this is how it's going to work out? Like, was there a decision? Did you run it by your wife first? Did you, obviously you have to get, you have to get Joshua to sign or Josh to sign off on it, right? Cause you're using his name. Where, where was that moment? And what was that like? You know, um, so I took my son and Josh to a quarterback camp in Abilene, Texas, and we were talking about his situation. You know, I'm trying to speak into both of their lives and just hearing more and more about it. I kind of it started to hit me. And then one morning as I was out exercising and running, that's when I spend a lot of time trying to pray and really seeking God's guidance for the day. And it just came to me. You know, this is the story. And when I thought about the janitor and Mo, I could not wait to get back in front of my computer and start typing because I was so excited about what had come to me. Yeah, that's really, really cool. I, I 
I mean, in my own little journey with writing and either whether it be a sermon or uh, some other thing, I mean, those are rare, right? Those kind of epiphany moments where you're like, that's it. And then you just got to get down. I mean, a lot of times it doesn't always work like that, right? I mean, there, there's some, some you got to just grind it out, grind out the ideas, write a bunch of bad words that you don't like. Not cuss words, obviously, <laughs> when I say bad words, but you know, yeah. a lot of words that are not adding value. Yeah, sometimes <laughs> you feel central. like saying bad words because you can't think <laughs> of what exactly you want right. to say. <laughs> that's exactly right. But that is, those are gifts when those pop up and you get to, to do that. What was Josh's reaction when you told him, hey, I want to tell kind of your story in a parable form. Yeah. So we were actually, um, this was around Christmas time and we had all gotten together. You know, everybody's so busy. We don't see them as often as we'd like to. So his mom and Josh and his sisters and his dad are all sitting there. And I said, Hey, I've got this idea. I don't want to give away too much because I want, you know, I want it to be a surprise when you read it, but are you okay with me using your story to teach about being strong and courageous? I think it's the next book I want to write. And they were all excited and fired up. And I told Josh, I said, I promise you, before anybody else gets to read it, you'll be the first one. And so you can approve it or say, I want you to change something. And so I actually, this past fall, I had kind of finished my first manuscript rough draft and gave it to him and gave a copy to his parents and they all loved it. And so from there, it's kind of, you know, final tweaks and perfections, but it's all set to come out on Easter. That's so fantastic. And so, and I heard he's already hired an agent and he know, he's like figuring out who's going to play him in the movie and all that kind of stuff. You know, he's, yeah. he's yeah, got so a couple my, actors picked out. <laughs> so my son and him are just a few months apart in age. And my son's like, well, dad, what the heck? I got to have a role. Yeah. And so, um, so I made, my son's name is Ryder. So the coach that pulls him into the office and kind of gets on to him and Tristan, the antagonist, is Coach Ryder. And so I gave him a role and he was satisfied with that. So that's really that's good. Been kind that's of really fun. good. So, you know, I don't want to give away too much of the story. I want people to go and buy the book and we'll put a link where they can go and, and learn more about that in the show description uh, for this episode. But let's just talk real quickly here. You know, how can fathers and mentors, how can they encourage our sons, our young sons to be strong and courageous? And especially in today's day and age, I mean, you and I were recording this. It's the spring of 2022. I think the last time we talked, it was 2020. There is just as much uncertainty in the world now as there was when you and I first, when we first had you on the Better Man podcast. So what are, what are some things you're seeing out there? What's working? What's not working? How, how can fathers and mentors really help the young generation right now? Yeah, you know, through my work with coaching at its core and seeing what coaches and counselors are doing with young people and then studying the directives from Be Strong and Courageous that are in the Bible, like any good sermon or any good book, you know, you try to hammer it down into three points that you want to really focus on. And there were three main things I kind of wanted to get across in the book. Number one is young people today, bottom line, they've got to have the courage to stand strong in their convictions. They got to know who they are and what they stand for. And then it is, you just got to be strong and courageous in standing for those things, saying there are certain lines I'm not going to cross. And I'm if I have to stand on my own to do it, that's what I'm going to do. That's a rare trait in today's world. You know, society, especially you talk in the teenage world, what's everybody seeking? Likes. They want people, we've always wanted to be liked, but now we want to be liked on social media. Yeah, you and can so, count them now. <laughs> we yeah. never could count them before. <laughs> yeah, great point. Now you can actually quantify how much people like you. At least you think so. And so in today's world, the young person that can say, all right, I'm going to stand for these things. And my my job in life, what I'm going after is not the world's approval. It's not social media or society's approval. It's God's approval. 
And God says to do things this way, and this is how I'm going to do it. So having the ability to stand strong in your convictions is hugely important, number one. And how do I do that? And so that's something I wanted to address in the book. And of course, Mo is teaching Josh how to do that through their conversations. The second one is we all get discouraged, you know, and I think that's a big part of this whole anxiety issue is we get discouraged and then it starts to snowball into anxiety issues. And um, how do you handle that? How do you handle times of discouragement? Because it's even for us as adults, everybody's going to have it. And a big part of there is where are you placing your focus? There's generally one of four areas we're going to place our focus. We're either going to place our focus on ourselves in a selfish way. We're going to place it on others and seeking others' approval. We're going to place our focus on our circumstances, which that can really drag us down. Or we can place our focus on Jesus. And when we place our focus on Jesus, we tend to be more excited to see what he's going to do in our life that day. Um, Doesn't mean life's easy, but it means there's a certain excitement to see where is he going to work and how's he going to provide. And when young people can start living their lives and seeing that happen and then recording how that's happened in their life and go back and say, man, I remember this time he did this when I didn't know how it was going to work out. That really helps you in those times of discouragement. And then the last one is, you know, stand strong in times of leadership. How do you be an effective leader in today's world? You don't have to wait until you graduate from college and you work 20 years to get to an executive position in a business. You can be a leader at 13, 14, 15 years old. Well, how do you do that is the question. And the big thing there is the golden rule. Treat others the way you want to be treated. When you treat others the right way, when you're respectful of others, you earn the right to speak into the lives of someone else. And a lot of times we think leadership is telling people what to do. It's not that at all. And we know that leadership is saying, you know what? I want what's best for you. And this is how we get there. And let's get there together. Treating others the way you want to be treated. So really giving those three action items and ways to do those things to young people was the goal of the book. And I think that's what we need to be able to have conversations about as fathers and mentors with our sons and our daughters and um, really challenging them to identify those things in their life. I love that, Clint. Let me, let's just unpack a few of these. Let me ask you a few other questions about it. Let's start at the first one there with being able to stand strong in their convictions. If I were to sit down with my 13-year-old today, Jake, what are your convictions? I think he would look at me with some bright eyes, you know, kind of wide-eyed and go, I don't know. Like, I don't know if we've gone over that in school. What do you mean by convictions? And so how much uh, does, a, as a dad, and like as, as you've been raising your own son, or as a mentor and as a coach, do you provide some categories for, for some young men on how to think about convictions? Because uh, that's not a word we use very often. So what, what suggestions would you have there and ways that we can help young men with that? Yeah, great question. And that's what been one of the exciting things in doing this book. And I actually provide some resources at the website is um, trying to find out I think in every one of us, God's created a certain certain talents that he's given us, not just one, but multiple talents. And then he's given us certain passions, things that we just gravitate to and love and that we're all different. But when you can blend those talents and those passions, you start to find what your purpose is in life. And you, when you discover that purpose, now you're going after a goal. You're saying, this is who I want to be and this is what I want to do. And when you do that, now you have your conviction. That conviction comes from a sense of purpose. 
that you're going after something. So now whenever you have to make a decision, what most teenagers are doing is they're like a ship without a rudder. They're just kind of drifting along and everybody says, let's do this. And you go, okay, I'll do that because that seems popular. But the young person that's rare that says, no, I have a certain goal I'm going after. And if I make that decision, it takes me further away from that goal. Then I'm not going to make that decision because I know what I want to be. Once they have that direction, those decisions become a lot easier to not follow the crowd. The other thing, and kind of a more simple project, you know, because discovering your talents and passions is fun to discuss, but it's also hard. I mean, even us as adults would say, it's kind of hard to identify those, but that is exciting to do. But a little bit more simple project that you could do with your kids that I actually learned with our oldest, my daughter, when she was kind of going through a little bit of a challenge and being pulled different directions. And we had to really sit down and have a heart to heart on who are you going to be? I made her sit down with me and I gave her a journal and I said, I want you to go take however long you need. I actually pulled her out of school for the day and she just spent the day with me. I said, you take however long you need, but I want you to do this. I want you to write, Rayleigh Rutledge is someone who is, and then you go to town. Who is the ideal version of you? And so she came and I said, when you're done, come see me and let's talk. And so she worked on it for several hours, actually, went to a quiet spot, worked on it, came back and said, this is who I want to be, dad. This is what I want to stand for. And so I said, okay, every decision you make from this point forward needs to go towards that. And when you make a mistake, we got to get back on track. But now you and I are both on the same page with who you say you want to be. So how I love you, how I discipline you, what I expect of you is all going towards what you've said you want to be. And I think that's a great project. Yeah, that really is. Thank you for that. That I mean, that's going to be the best part of this podcast for a lot of dads out there. I mean, just that, and really even even not just for dads. I mean, just as young men or just men in general, can can we answer like fill in the blank? Like Adam Tarnow was a person who Clint Rutledge is a person who. That's a great journaling exercise, and then sharing that with other other people to go, hey, this is what I want you to hold me accountable to and to help me become because I can't do this on my own with all that. But I love that because it does it doesn't make it about right or wrong. Uh, which like a list of rules, like, hey, I want to be somebody who follows the rules. Nobody will write that down, right? And so now we start to look at these behaviors as, is this going to help you achieve that goal of what you want and gives you a sense of agency and autonomy with it, right? Like you don't feel like a victim and my life is just filled with what I can't do. It's my life is now what I'm choosing to do because of who I want to become. Exactly. And it's it's not what mom and dad are saying to do. It's what you said you want to be. And also, um, I think it was important in that framework. She was probably late middle school, early high school when we did this. Um, I think, you know, at any point, 12, 13 years old, you can really do that. But I said, by the time you leave our house, when you go off to college, who do you want to be? And so it kind of given her that um, that finish line out there. I don't know if finish line is the right word. But no, that is. Yeah. But it, it, it time boxes it. So it's not like, who do you want to be when you're a 35 year old woman? It's like, Hey, just for now, who do you want to be when you're getting ready to do this? Which maybe makes that feel less daunting. So I like that. It does. And it, that way, you know, you're ready to leave the house and go be on your own in college and make your own decisions. What do you need to be equipped for to be at that stage in life? 
Yeah. Yeah. I like that. And I like that you did that when she was a little bit, and maybe for boys, maybe late middle school is even a little too early there. Maybe a high school conversation or something like that. You certainly shouldn't ask a six-year-old uh, to do that because you're going to get a bunch, no, of, a bunch of weird of, answers. It could be yeah, comedy. Exactly. It could be good fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you yeah. know, I think for a boy, probably um, eighth grade, maybe good eighth or ninth, depending on his maturity. But I've found that ninth and 10th grade are some of the toughest years for wanting to follow the crowd because you've got juniors and seniors you're wanting to try to impress. And if you haven't identified it by that time, you're going to get swayed by the crowd that's choosing the wrong thing just for the feeling of being accepted. So it's an important time right before they hit that. That's really good. And the wisdom in all this, and again, I don't know if I would have understood this at age 16 or 17, but like you, you are always becoming someone. And so you're either moving somewhere on purpose that, that you're, you have some agency and control over that, or it's the culture or the latest fad or what your group tells you to be. And that like, that just never ends well. So I really like that. Okay. Let's talk about the discouragement. You know, we all experience that. We live in the age of helicopter parenting where we're all trying to prevent our kids at times from feeling any sort of negative emotion. Right. So how, how do you, how do you bring in some of that discouragement? Cause you don't want to tell your kid, go out and fail real quick, and then we'll have a good learning lesson. How are you navigating that again in your parenting journey? And how do you see some, some dads and mentors doing that? Well, that's a challenging one because naturally as parents, we want to keep our kids from hurting, keep them from experiencing things that are, you know, painful. And that's even in little league, you know, if, if they're not having some success, we want to blame the coach or it's always somebody else's fault. And that's a lot of kids are growing up with an entitlement type of personality because mom and dad have tried so hard to prepare the path for the kid instead of preparing the kid for the path. So overcoming discouragement is something you can't do until you face it. And I don't want to claim that I'm the best at it because I'm not, but allowing your kids the opportunity to make their own decisions, even when you can tell this is not going to turn out well. Now, I'm not talking in, you know, really bad situations if you got to step in to protect them. But if it's a situation where you go, okay, this decision is probably going to lead to some some struggle where they're, it's not going to work out the way they want, allowing them to make those choices and then kind of feel the consequences and then come back and say, okay, how could we have done this a little different? What would have happened if you'd done this? Basically, it's the analogy of you throw a quarterback out in a football game. The coach can't go out on the field and make those pass reads for him. He can't make those decisions. He has to send him out, let him make the reads. Sometimes he throws a touchdown. Sometimes he throws an interception. But either way, when he comes off the field, you go, okay, what'd you see? What was happening? Here's how we correct it. You send him back out on the field. Parenting to me is that and teaching them to overcome discouragement, not preventing them from discouragement. No, that's really good. And, you know, and, and there are some things here where I think as uh, as parents or just people that are around um, any adults around young people, there are some things to praise the young Uh, the younger generation for right now, if we think about the resilience that most kids have shown over the last two years with virtual school, live school, virtual school, live school, masks, no masks, uh, all these protocols, carrying around little shields around school. I mean, they've been through a lot in the last two years and really were pretty resilient with some of that discouragement uh, with things that could have been discouraging. So I think we can praise them, encourage them for some things that they've made it through. But this is also what I love about performance hobbies. So whether they be sports or music or the arts, like where you're painting something and you're showing it to other people or playing a sport in front of other people or any of that kind of stuff where there's some level of vulnerability, you just as a parent, it's, it's such a great, safe way to teach 
resilience, right? How to bounce back from failure. Either you didn't play well on the ball field, uh, the music uh, recital didn't go well, the dance recital didn't go well, people didn't like your painting or your sculpture, whatever it was. I love those things because they are such a great excuse to be able to help folks with that. And I mean, as I talk my sons through their discouragement, I'm convicted about my own discouragement, right? As I go through it and like, man, I gotta, I gotta practice what I'm preaching here. So there, it's, it's a, it's a really great way to continue to do that. Absolutely. You know, my wife and I went through a, a learning circumstance for us recently. My son's a sophomore and um, he was working to make the varsity baseball team and he was given some opportunities and just didn't perform well. And he looked like the weight of the world was on his shoulders when he'd come up to bat. And he's a really good kid, real conscientious kid. Um, He'd come home and we're trying to be encouraging and not make it a big deal. But my wife and I were both just so upset for him when he didn't play well because we knew how hard he had worked, how bad he wanted it. But then it hit me one night as I was praying for him that we're sitting here telling him, well, don't act like it's the end of the world when you strike out, you know, quit acting like everything's such a big deal. But then here's my wife and I are acting like it's such a big deal. So we're modeling the behavior we're telling him not to do. And so the next morning after praying through that and feeling convicted by that, my wife and I had a great conversation and my son's 16, we sat him down and said, we need to apologize to you. And we need to realize, help you understand that our perspective has been skewed. And we've been asking you to do things we weren't willing to do ourselves. And when that stops now, from now on, we're going to have a better perspective. So I think helping your kids through discouragement also means showing them how mom and dad can, you know, be discouraged, not do things right all the time, but then be willing to admit their mistakes. Yeah. And listen, you do that kind of stuff. It's his great learnings and he may not ever get another hit. Right. And there may continue to be strikeouts, but that's okay because of what you're learning and all of this. That that resilience piece is huge and is so necessary in leadership, right? To be able to bounce back from discouragement, as as we know, because that's what I mean. That's just that's part of it as a leader is to be able to bounce back from that. One thing I really want to kind of caution parents on today, and again, I'm not trying to come across like I know it all. We fail more than we succeed as parents, but when you have kids in your home that are are good kids, they're real conscientious. Don't just assume that everything's going smooth for them. Those kids that are real um, pleasers that are trying to do things right, it is such a competitive world in schools today for to make the grades, to be in the top 10%, to get in the right university, to make the team, to make the band, to do whatever it is they're trying to do. It is so competitive that they really get worried and fearful that if I don't do this, mom and dad are going to be so disappointed in me. And so that's why these anxiety levels continue to rise in kids because they're now they're looking on Twitter or Instagram and they're seeing all these kids that are having success and they feel like I'm failing. I'm not as good as everybody I'm seeing online and mom and dad are going to be disappointed. That's why these anxiety levels have increased so much. So removing that fear of failure, letting them know, hey, it's okay if you don't you know, if you're not the all-star, if you don't make the varsity team and you're on JV, let's just keep getting better day by day. That's how we're going to win. And so reassuring them that that's okay is really important for parents to do. Yeah. And and as you just said, backing up your actions with your words, because if we tell them before the game, it doesn't matter. And then we treat them different after the game when they don't perform, it's going to be like, uh, I don't know, there may be something going on here. So yeah, that's really good. 
And I love this idea about standing strong in times of leadership. And what I was hearing you say there is that, you know, leadership can happen at any point in your life. And it does it regardless of title, because it's about influence. And we can all be an influencer at any, you know, you can be an influencer as a seventh grader in your middle school, as a freshman in your high school, as third string quarterback, you can be an, an influencer, right? And man, I don't know, like if there's one thing where we see where where the world is changing and what the younger generation, maybe Gen Z and the way they think about leadership. Like I, I just think it's maybe a topic for another day. Hierarchies feel like they've got an expiration date on them here soon, right? Like, like the Gen Z and hierarchies, I I don't know if they get along very well. And so what it means to be a leader is it's going to really distill down to that influence, right? And so these are great skills to be teaching our kids now uh, in the midst of all this, because that's how we're going to be a leader in the future. It may not be, oh, just because you have the title. It's just, are you a person worth following and do you have influence? Absolutely. And it seems like forever um, that you were a leader if you were the the best athlete or the, the prettiest or, you know, you were the one at the forefront for whatever situation it was that made you the leader automatically. And that truly is not what leadership ever has been or is now. Leadership is about the ability to build relationships. The better you are at building relationships and encouraging others, the more willing people are going to be to follow you. And one of the things that we talk to our kids about and is mentioned in the book is when you have the courage to stand strong in your convictions or you handle discouragement well or you're encouraging others, You never know who's watching you that's struggling with a decision. Should I do this or should I do that? And when they see somebody else that's their age making the right decisions, that empowers them. It encourages them to make the right decision as well. And so kind of leading even the unseen followers that are out there is important. And it's important that young people understand people are watching you. Whether you think they are or they're not, they are. And when you make the right choices, there's good consequences for that. When you make the wrong choices, you may be leading somebody else down the wrong path. And there's consequences for that, too. That's awesome. Well, Clint, I can't wait for Easter for this book to come out. I know it's going to be a huge help to a lot of people. What I'm so encouraged uh, just with your life, how you've just taken whatever situation you're in, you've been a learner, and then you've tried to teach others and help others with some of the things that you've learned. So you've got young, you know, these teenage kids at home, there's a lot that you've learned, and you're just trying to share it with others. You know a lot about coaching, and you tried to share that with others. And so that's a real encouragement to me, and I can't wait to see what comes next as you continue on in this manhood journey, this parenting journey, following after Jesus. You're a real gift. And so it was great to be with you today on the Better Man Podcast. Thanks again for joining us. Well, Clint, once again, thank you so much for jumping on the podcast. Always great to have you on here. I like having these repeat guests. I think this is kind of fun to catch up with people and see new projects and hear about new projects that they're working on. So if you like Strong and Courageous and the message that he was talking about today and you want to know or learn more about the book, go to strongandcourageousbook.com. That's strongandcourageousbook.com. If you're listening to this before Easter of 2022, you're just going to have to wait a couple more weeks because it's not out until Easter. But if you're listening afterwards, you can go to strongandcourageousbook.com, find the link there to go and buy the book. I'm sure it's going to be a really, really helpful resource for you. That's all we've got for today on the Better Man Podcast. This episode, like all of our episodes, was mixed and edited by the team over there at Sound of a Rose. You can learn more about them at soundofarose.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you again next time.